Hi, and welcome to Facts and Blog and Podcast. Hi, and welcome to episode 32 of the Facts and Blog and Podcast. As you can tell, uh, we are in a different space. We have started uh, moving over uh, marketing and some of the other office personnel here to our new building in Westchester, and uh, we're really excited. But with that, that means uh, that our, our, our manpower and focus is a little bit more on moving and such this week. But don't worry, we have a great show still lined up for you. We are going to be doing a Best of Adwood, uh, Best of the Podcast, and some other fun videos uh, from our days at our previous facility and uh, just kind of a ceremonial way to close that out and uh, open up this new uh, facility here today. Also, uh, Jay's World of Eats. Uh, don't worry, we have a brand new Jay's World of Eats, including a giveaway from our friends at Lockdown. We'll be giving away a Lockdown Puck as well as a Lockdown Yeti Tumbler. So make sure you stick around for Jay's World of Eats, which is going to be at the top of the show this week. Uh, so you can figure out how to get entered in that giveaway. And uh, also, we will be having Bob and Barry Faxon on next week uh, here in the new studio uh, to tell the story of the brand, the beginnings of Faxon, uh, the machining side, all the way through the birth of firearms and what some of our goals are for the future. So make sure uh, you mark your calendars for that as well. But before we begin the show today, we do want to take a moment and recognize that today marks the 19th anniversary of 9-11 2000. 2001. Um, and we want to take a moment, uh, as we always do, to celebrate our guardians, our first responders, uh, police, firefighters, medical personnel that allow us uh, to live the lives that we get to lead here in America. And we are truly, truly grateful for them. So if you would please join us for a moment of silence before we begin the show. Welcome back uh, to another installment of Jay's World of Eats. And uh, today is a special uh, moving segment because mm. we record, we break down, we uh, emotionally and physically, <laughs> and then emotionally. Uh, <laughs> mostly emotionally. And we pack stuff up. If I turn this camera around, you will see the nonsense behind us as we're taking loads over to the new building. So this will be actually be our last, last episode and installment here on Adwood Drive. It's been a good run. It has been a good run. It's been it's been a good good place to start the podcast, but we're excited for the new setup. Uh, this week, uh, Jay's World of Eats is brought to you by our friends at Lockdown. We are going to be giving away one of their uh, Lockdown Pucks, which is a smart uh, security monitoring device. Um, we've uh, shown footage of this before. We've actually done a giveaway uh, with Puck uh, in the past, and it's a, it's a great modular device that... Uh, you know, we we had uh, Rennell on from lockdown a couple months ago, and she was going through the product. And it's something you could use uh, for the security of your gun safe. Some people even take it on the road with them and use it on their hotel doors and stuff mm. uh, because of just how easy it mounts and how modular it is. But it'll do everything from notify you if somebody's trying to get into uh, a secured place that you have the device on. It'll also help monitor humidity uh, in the space uh, and a variety of other things. And it goes right to their uh, app on your favorite smartphone or smart device. 
Uh, very cool. Very cool device. And uh, we'll be giving this away. So you can visit factsandfirearms.com slash blog. Click on episode 32 and uh, you'll find all the ways to enter. And you'll also be getting one of the lockdown Yeti tumblers as well. So make sure very you nice. enter for that. All right. Very nice. Jaybird. So bef- before we start. Before uh, we start. We found out today. Uh, I was checking uh, our chart position for the podcast. And so, you know, we're on a number of different outlets, you know, the the videos on YouTube and Facebook and Vimeo and all that. But, you know, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, all those different places. And for whatever reason, on Apple, we uh, this week, we're the number 14 podcast in Vietnam. That's great. Well, so shout out to our fans in Vietnam. Uh, If you want us to come uh, do a show on location. On location, uh, we might be able to swing that. Jay is well versed in world travel where I am not. Send us some Vietnamese snacks, please. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a place where I used to live that did like Vietnamese street food. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Delicious. Yeah, absolutely. I could get behind that. All right. So, uh, Jay, what do you have for us today? Today's snack, Dustin, (laughs) is one of my absolute favorite snacks, uh, and it is coming from Britain, which, you know, generally I think might not be known for their food. Uh, You know, lots of boiled things. Right. You know, not not generally... uh, you know exactly what you would think of for food, but yeah. this is one of my all-time favorite snacks. These are roast chicken uh, potato. Uh, what's the word? Chips? No, crisps. Oh, crisps. Crisp. Crisp. Oh, this is British. He set me up. I totally set you up. Because chips in 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 the Britland is uh, French fries, yeah, right? French fries, right? You uncultured what are French swine. fries in France. Fries. Fries. Los potatoes, wee-wees. Wee-wee potatoes? So, (laughs) these are roast chicken flavor potato chips, and they taste exactly like it smells when you walk in a house with a roasting chicken. Mm. So, See, this I could get behind. It doesn't have a face. It wasn't from the depths of the sea. Let me just point out, Dustin, real quick. Yeah. I specifically asked last week uh-huh. for some plate layer or bowls for the snacks for the snack segment. It's on the way. You know, what? I designed you a, a t-shirt. Paper. I designed you a t-shirt, but he wants custom corning wear or you know, something. My demands are small. <laughs> Trip to Vietnam. But they're, but they're mighty. Trip to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> some plates or bowls. Uh, or, we'll get on that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get on. That. We one time got my uh, mother-in-law a... Uh, Custom uh, lasagna dish, so I think I can handle. <laughs> Ooh, nice, Grandma's famous <laughs> custom lasagna. lasagna. Mm-hmm. Nice, I like that. All right, chips. Yeah, crisps. 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 Oh, yeah. Don't slip. Oh yeah. Where do you get these? Do you get these at Jungle Gyms? I got these at Jungle Gyms. Yeah. So if you're not familiar, um, in Cincinnati we have a. Um, well, now there's two of them, but it used to just be one. And it's a store called Jungle Gyms International Market or some something mm-hmm. of that variety. And it is like an amusement park of food. It yeah. is just, it's huge. It's huge. And they get, have stuff from all over the world. Like if you send someone with a grocery list to get cheddar cheese 
from Jungle Gems, you better know the vicinity of Europe or oh, Vienna yeah. or wherever you want it from because they have all of it. I remember when my wife and I were dating and I had never been to Jungle Gems before. I lived in Columbus. We came down here to visit her family and she took me in and I was literally blown away. It it's was like incredible. Right when the whole like craft beer microbrew thing was on the uptick yeah. again. And it was like the first place I saw with like a beer cave that had all these different oh, yeah. microbrews that are local and, and around the world. They're it's amazing. Beer and wine and, and sake and, and oh, yeah. you know, selection is incredible. They do bourbon tastings there. Yeah. They do. And uh, for, and since you, even though this is British food, they do have a whole section that's just England. You know, yeah. in other countries and continents. Lots uh, of boiled stuff in that section. Lots of boiled stuff. Lots of tea. If yeah. you're into yeah, tea. Yeah, right, right. Or if you're into like British candy. Like yeah. uh, there's British candy. Well, like you can Those get Cadbury. chocolate bars yeah. that are like no substance. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, if you were ever thinking, whatever happened to Mars bar? Well, they're still happening yeah. in, in the UK yeah, and they're at Jungle Gyms. The <laughs> uh, these are very good. I like yeah, these. Yeah, these are, these are one of my all-time favorite snacks. Uh, there's a British version and there's a French version. You know, two, I mean, different chip brands, I'm sure. But uh, the French version is slightly better. I just can never get a hold of them. High uh, demand. Yeah, they're even more chickeny. Mm. Yeah, so. Does it come with a baguette? Uh, it might gift pack, gift pack of gift roasted pack. chicken chips. I like gift packs, Dustin. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm big into gift packs. Yes. Like, well, like I said, uh, like we said on the last show, if you ever want to send us some crazy snacks to review, uh, Absolutely. email podcast at factsandfirearms.com and we'll tell you how to get them to <clears> us. Yeah. All right. Now, Jay, this one comes compliments to my daughter, Cadence. She Ooh. is, uh, five years old. We went to a uh, farmer's market this weekend in Lebanon, uh, yeah. which is about 20 minutes north of here. And, uh, of course, they put stuff like this at children's eyes level. Uh, and this is uh, what my, my daughter wanted. This Aww. is, and the bag is exploding. This is uh, from, let's see, it says Jody's Popcorn. Jody'sPopcorn.com. Made in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. All right, Jody. And Jody. Brilliant. Shout out to Jody. Let's see what you got. <laughs> this is apparently birthday cake flavored popcorn. Mm, nice. So I'm assuming it's like a kettle corn type situation. My daughter said it was the best thing she had ever eaten. Mm. Uh, so let's see what you think. Is it birthday cakey? Mm, that's pretty good. Right you know, I think it tastes better knowing that we stole it from a child. <laughs> So, <laughs> five bucks says she's gonna ask because a couple of weeks ago when we had the brownies, <laughs> when we had the brownies on after I had to partake in fish eating or whatever Jay brought in. Oh, yeah, I had brought in brownies that my mother in law made. And when we were leaving their house that weekend, <laughs> I swear that my wife and daughter had their own brownies. I thought the ones. That my mother-in-law were giving me were like for me and for me to take to work and do with as I please or sit alone in my car and, you know, listen to the best of bread and, and eat it. Right. So anyway, wonderful brownies. I come home that night after filming the segment with you and uh, I had a major headache. So I go lay down and my daughter comes into my room. She goes, Dad, where are the brownies? 
I was like, what brownies? She goes, Granny's brownies. I was like, oh, honey, I, I took those to work. Those were those. I thought those were mine. She's like, and she lost it. And then she gets up and she's like, you're just teasing. And I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't teasing. I'm like, I am so sorry. So luckily we had the uh, ingredients to make some more brownies at and now, home. Now we've stolen her bomb horn. She doesn't need all of this, okay? <laughs> You know how some people like it's the argument between cane sugar and high fructose corn syrup, like which is worse for you, even in moderation. This bad boy has both. This has pure cane sugar and corn syrup as ingredients numbers one and two. She's going to grow up and watch these podcasts and I am going to become her nemesis because she's going to realize I stole all of her treats well, as a child. I'm going to be the one that's paying for the therapy. So yeah. it's all right. It is all right. So anyway, try out some uh, chicken crisps. 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 Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. And uh, Jody, no offense on the uh, cane sugar and stuff. We know this is a dessert treat and it does taste uh, quite good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jody, good popcorn. Good good job. It's delicious. And uh, gluten-free if you're into that. Or I think that. corn is generally. Yeah. Gluten's weak. Yeah, but you could have ingredients. <laughs> ingredients. I don't know. You like to sprinkle MSG on things. Maybe people are just like, mm. you know, it'd be good on this. Pepper on some gluten. Jody, just, you think you want to do a version with MSG? Oh, yeah. Mm. Salted popcorn with MSG, I'd imagine. Oh, be, yeah. Have you tried that with your home MSG? I sugar? haven't. You know, Doritos have a ton of MSG in them. That's really? why they're good. I like the Cool Ranch Doritos. Oh, yeah. Those are the bee's knees, except uh, our Vietnam listeners may not know this, but in the back in the 90s, there there was a cooler ranch. Cooler ranch. Which was like extra ranchy. They were, in fact, cooler. Yeah, and they... Like you know the the Dorito dust you get on your hands, it was like it was like that much more Dorito dust. Oh, yeah, uh, it was there was cooler ranch and nacho cheesier, nacho I cheesier, mean, cheesier. I had a Swedish babysitter when I was a kid, and uh, she would eat uh, nacho cheese Doritos with ketchup. We would dip our Doritos in ketchup. It's actually delicious. Did somebody wrong her in some way that she had? <laughs> she had try it. Try it. Try it. It's delicious. I'm not even like a big fan of ketchup. Yeah, well, you know, then it's going to have to appear on the segment and you're going to have to try it. <laughs> uh, I will do my best. All right. Well, just a reminder, uh, the uh, this installment of Jay's World of Eats is brought to you by our friends at Lockdown. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes that you could check out this product a little more because you know, it just looks just like it's called a puck. Yeah, this is like, what, what is, what is this thing? Uh, but <laughs> when you look at their, uh, they have great tutorials and, and things on their YouTube page that we'll link to. Um, and really this isn't just for, you know, gun owners. I mean, if you have a, um, you know, if you work in a workshop and you have shared space where you have your tools, like you could put this, you know, on your toolbox, it even has like vibration sensing. So if somebody's trying to break into it, it'll alert you. Nice. It's not just if it opens, even though it does have uh, the door sensor. And again, uh, I think this is really cool for the folks who need to monitor, you know, humidity in a space as well as security. So 
wine cellars or if you're a musician, you have instruments uh, or places where you keep important documents and things. So you need to make sure uh, uh, stay at a consistent humidity. This will definitely help you out with that. So again, uh, visit factsandfirearms.com slash blog. Click on episode 32 uh, to enter to win both the puck and a uh, lockdown Yeti tumbler. other thing you know you, you brought up cars the gun world is the same way there's so many different uh subclasses like you tuners and things like that yeah and we can do, we'll talk go back into that some other time but there's so many different subclasses and that's why the average gun owner will surprise you because there's so many different like uh you got clay shooters you got long range shooters and those people may not fit the typical mold because of that because they're into that certain yeah. lane of shooting well and you know there's also the the kind of the historical collector side yeah you know which i, I find super fascinating you know uh, where yeah they're uh they're a gun owner but they're a gun owner mostly because they like history mm-hmm. you know and that's their primary you know primary operative in owning a gun and like you're saying like the tuner crowd or the custom build people mm-hmm. or the people who like to make you know lightweight ars or whatever which you know starting to work here has been completely eye-opening <laughs> for me how big that that market is um but yeah there's so many different like you were saying subclasses in it that it isn't just, you know, people hunkered down wearing armadillo hats in their basement with, you know, rations, you know. Uh, tinfoil. You got to remember to put the tinfoil over, over the, the armadillo, armadillo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, One thing before we start to wrap up, according to the Gallup poll, uh, this is something that given the year that we're in and primaries mm-hmm. uh, upon us, you know, only 55% of Americans consider themselves Republican or Democrat. And so that leaves the remaining 45% as independent or non-affiliated, um, you know, to, or pledging patronage, you know, mm-hmm. to, a, to a certain party. And uh, now I think any, uh, any party, <laughs> Republican, Democrat, independent, green, I don't know how ever many there are libertarian, <laughs> would love a, a, a 45% boost you know, in their numbers. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about, okay, well, if, if 45% of Americans own guns and, you know, only 55% total, you know, claim any sort of, you know, party affiliation, then obviously there's a lot of people who aren't, you know, conservative Republicans living in the woods that are gun owners or at least open, you know, to gun ownership. It's funny you bring that up. One of my good friends that I met while working behind the, the gun counter was a conservative Democrat. And just talking to him, you'd be surprised at, you know, how much of a gun owner is, how much he is. And I got to talking to him like, well, why do you do the, why are you the way you are? Mm-hmm. And he says, it's just the way I was raised. Yeah. And, and it's, he saw that, you know, the attack on the second menu, but he identified more towards being part of the democratic party, but being that conservative side. Yeah. Um, and it surprised you that most times you like we said, it's an old white guy who's a Republican conservative gun owners come in many shapes and sizes and religions and creed. And a lot of them will surprise you. A lot of, especially democratic gun owners will surprise you. You know, nice feature about it is, you know, because it's integral, this this doesn't, uh, you know, 
get into any of the, you know, the ambiguous statements on the ATF about, you know, how to, how to pin and weld, you know, that the ATF covers, uh, a lot of methods on how to permanently attach a muzzle device, you know, but they don't lay out any rules on how to test that, how to verify that. And, you know, the fact that this is integral to the barrel itself, um, you know, really eliminates all of that ambiguity. You know, there is no testing if your, if your weld is good enough, you know, is there a pin in there? Did the silver solder take, you know, there's, you know, the, the ATF lays out some some ways you might attach them, mm-hmm. but is uh, really not forthcoming in, you know, how you can verify that. And so, um, you know, one of the nice things about that is is it just eliminates all of that. We didn't really want to spend the consumer's money. So we did a lot of, you know, high value products where it matters, barrel, BCG, upper, lower, things like that. But on more of the aesthetics and the ergonomics of the gun, we just kind of left it up to the end consumer. Um, yeah. So actually, I actually have... An example of one right here. So this is a f- complete factory offering of our 10 and a half inch pistol. So it comes factory with the SPA3 brace on it. Um, but as you can see, just a standard A4 style pistol grip, um, single sided mil spec style safety selector, um, and then mil spec charging handle. So there's a lot of areas in this pistol that you can, you know, right from picking it up, you can buy most of the components that you'd want to upgrade it. You can buy them at your local gun shop. They're typically going to have, you know, your grips, your charging handles, safety selectors, things like that. Um, and it allows you to kind of make it as feature rich as you want to make it. Um, and then when we show my gun, it can kind of quickly get out of hand because my, <laughs> my, my gun's definitely, it's almost look like it's it completely changed shape sure. um, from what it was to what it is now. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a great pistol, great for an entry level, um, you know, not a whole lot of experience with pistols. Um, you want to know a little bit more about them. The price point makes it very attainable to where you can come in on this, especially coming with an SBA three brace on there already. Um, there's a lot of cheaper options out there, but we wanted to still provide, you know, the best possible while still keeping that price point at an attainable, you know, entry level. Um, and then it kind of quickly goes up into our summit line where we have more high feature, high value, right. you know, higher price point kind of things. But this is a great starting point for anybody who's looking to get either into a, a 16 inch rifle or a 10 and a half inch pistol. We're trying to make it as easy as possible to where you can get this and then you can start customizing it. Cause you know, I practice the buy once cry once mentality, you know, it, it always stinks <laughs> yeah. spending the money. So why don't you yeah. just do it once so that way you don't end up with four or five pistol grips. Like I did with my first rifle, trying to find the one that I liked and fit my hand and, you know, yeah. it, it takes trial and error. So, well, and one of the things to remember too, about the ascent and then also the Bantam, which falls in our, our first line. And we'll, we'll be talking about that yeah. later on, uh, in another couple of episodes, but this is still a fax and firearm. Like yeah. it's, it's not like we didn't shop this out to another low pro shop mm-hmm. offshore or anything like that. This is like anything you would buy from us. That's, you know, it, it comes through us here in right here in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, it's our barrel, lower the upper receiver kit, like all that kind of stuff that you would normally buy from us like piecemeal. It's still going to be those facts and items and, you know, the same facts and quality. So even it's our BCG and everything. So it's all of our stuff. Yeah. Um, we just kind of did it at, you know, okay, what are more of the entry level price point items that you'll never be disappointed with the heart of the gun? Absolutely. It's just going to be, you know, the like you said, do you want to swap out the brace? Do you want to swap out the pistol grip? Do you want to move lightweight? Do you want to swap out the BCG? Absolutely. Do you want something a different color or whatever? And actually, we're in process 
right now of building out different uh, upgrade packages for these. So if you kind of wanted to do like a one stop, you know, hey, I, I would like to get all of this at a discounted price and, yeah, you know, bundle it together for you. Yeah, bundle it all together for you and, and get you ready to go. Let's welcome Amy to the podcast. So I joined the Air National Guard when I was 17 um, here in Mississippi. I originally wanted to become a pilot. So I went in as an aircraft mechanic on the KC-135 Strato Tanker. They are the ones that do the in-flight refueling. So it was just generalized maintenance, changing tires, changing brakes, um, refueling, changing the oil, that kind of thing. And I absolutely loved it. I got to travel a lot. Um, and then I believe in 2009, we got BRACT, which is the base realignment and closure list. So they went through a period of about two years where they were um, getting some new aircraft in. I was already a nurse on the civilian side. Um, I never really wanted to work in a clinic on base. So mm -hmm. I transferred to um, another unit where they have an air evacuation squadron for flight nurses and techs. And so our mission now currently is um, we'll fly into these other countries. We'll pick up wounded soldiers and airmen and, and bring them back. Um, you're basically taking them out of one area and, transporting them to an area that's got a higher echelon of care, somewhere where there's a better hospital or better treatment facilities. And then eventually they make their way back to the States and closer to home. Got it. And you said your first time kind of picking up and really kind of, you know, practicing, you know, firearms and, and tactical training. It was when you were in basic training. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was, um, I think it's probably my first time picking up a, in 16. Yeah. Um, and so it was a lot of fun. It's, it's, I don't know, I kind of fell in love with it. And like I said, all it's always just been recreationally, just going out to somebody's house and shooting, you know, getting some target practice in, in the backyard, out the country. Yeah. Um, so. So, um, so is with this kind of being your first, you know, few steps into the competition world, um, you know, you talked about the the community that happens in tactical games, and that was something that was yeah. appealing to you. And obviously, there seems to be a lot of crossover between that and uh, and and what you do with with CrossFit. Um, yeah. So, when you were looking at it, was it ta you knew tactical games was the one you wanted to do? Or were you interested in starting in another one, or how how did that how did you fall on that decision? I think the allure of the tactical games was the CrossFit aspect of it. So it was kind of within my comfort zone, I, I feel like. Um, I kind of already knew that aspect of it. And I felt like it was, I had strengths in both areas. And and that's the really cool thing about tactical games is you don't have to be the best shooter. You don't have to be the, the one that's in the best shape out there. You have to be consistently above average in both areas. Um, Kind of a neat thing. One of the battles in this last tactical games, I think I was the last, it was a long run. It was like a two mile run through the woods and these muddy trails. And I was the last one to come in on my heat, but I had the best shooting in that stage. I actually won that stage. So you don't have to be the best at any one particular thing. You just have to be, be consistent um, pretty much across the board. Oh, but when you, when you talk about guns <laughs> and you talk about performance, I love the discussion because there's passions about different things. So sure. What's important, I think, and when we come up with a whole line of products or we're dealing with barrels and, and, and complete firearms, what really matters, and I, th I think, just my opinion, when, when you take a firearm and you put it together, 
It's an eclectic group of very small but significant issues. Mm-hmm. That, that's what makes a good gun. I don't think you can take a gun and say, wow, I put a perfect barrel. I put, I put a great barrel in a gun. It's great, but great gun. It's not. It's not a great gun. It takes all the pieces to be great. And when you say what a barrel is good, or if you say what an upper or a bolt carrier or a muzzle device, every piece is important to the system. Right. Right. You can have an F1 car out of the race because an air, air gun locked up. Mm-hmm. Right. All the budget, one air gun can take you out of the race. So when you look at the firearm as a whole, to me, our challenge, our responsibility is to look at all the details. So as much time as we spend on this nerdy little thing, yeah, yeah. it is a component of a system. Right. Right. And, and I've said this a hundred times and I think it's a real serious issue to cover. When we design, build or make things, we, I, uh, I, I can tell you for myself, and I think as a company, we all push the fact that we look for consumer experience. Mm-hmm. And the user experience is what it's all about. So take this stupid little thing that we spent all this time on and say, what's it like when you're in the field and you get a crush washer stuck on the end of a barrel and you want to put your suppressor on, you want to do something and this this won't slide off anymore? Or does it keep you from being able to maintenance your gun like you want or to change so that when you're indoors, you can use a flash hider, outdoors, use a brake? Does it change so that you can put a direct mount suppressor on and off in the field. Those are the moments when you bought our product or a product, anybody's product, you go, that was good. I like it. I have a positive experience. I feel good. Or you frustrated, upset, or you say, why did they do that? That's stupid. Right. Right. How many people said that? So when we look at things, believe it or not, maybe this is a good example of the detail that has to be considered to put a good firearm in somebody's hands. Right. And, And people brag about things in some cases that I think are so insignificant or superficial But what's important is I I don't care that positive things get done to guns or that you have a color, a paint, a feature, or a detail that's preferable. I think that's great. But you have to have a core, solid core. The the, the design of every component from our bolt carriers, Mm -hmm. especially I think the difference is say the nine millimeters, but the details that go into every component and and in the long hours of nerd talk to create an individual product that eclectically goes into a firearm is eventually the user experience. So, you know, I've been tuning in to mostly, you know, some of your uh, most recent content when it comes to basically this gun run and in light of the pandemic and uh, especially how it's being publicized. Um, And you even had an article that came out just a couple days ago about how a lot more Americans are learning what goes into buying a gun, uh, that there's more to it. Um, and, and also dispelling some of the myths that people could just like walk in, hand over some cash and, and pick up a gun from, you know, a reputable dealer. So if you want to mind, just kind of give us the overview of, of what you've been seeing and kind of what the general sentiment has been, uh, I think we'd like to hear that. Well, yeah, I think the, uh, the narratives that have been pushed by a lot of anti-gunners like Diane Feinstein and all kinds of politicians that uh, guns are too easy to get in this country. Anybody can uh, go online with one click, get a gun. Um, uh, that's all being dispelled for an awful lot of people now because during this big gun run, you're getting a lot of first time buyers. We've talked to retailers all across the country, Florida, Illinois, Washington state, here in Texas, they're all saying the same thing. They're getting a lot of first-time buyers. Um, a lot of people who are on the fence or never even considered buying a gun, 
they hear that there's now officially a national emergency. Um, they start thinking that, you know, in a national emergency situation, police may have other things to do and other priorities um, and uh, handling a break in, uh, you know, what may have been a five minute response time, which is still a lot when you think about it. But what may have been a five minute response time may now be a half an hour response time. If that, who knows? Um, the other complicating factor, something we wrote about today is a lot of police departments around the country are deciding not to arrest um, lower level offenses. And by lower level, they mean drugs, burglary, robbery, uh, car theft, that type of thing. Some uh, jurisdictions like Los Angeles and a few others are starting to empty their jails of quote unquote nonviolent offenders, trying to you know, obviously keep fewer people in proximity inside those jailhouses. Uh, it's kind of hard to do social distancing inside okay. a jail cell. So um, that's in fact exactly why all these people are lining up outside gun stores all over the country. And what they're finding is that's not always, it's not an easy process. Uh, if you're unfortunate to live in Illinois, uh, and actually there's about three or four other places too, um, you, uh, you can't just walk in and buy a gun. If you don't ha already have a firearm owner's ID card, you are out of luck. Um, you better uh, start the application process. And if you're lucky, before that took 60 days. In fact, that was so long before that the Second Amendment Foundation had uh, sued the state over the ridiculous delays it was taking to get the state's permission to just walk into a gun store and pick up a handgun and look at it. Sure. Um, but if it, now in an emergency situation, good luck. Uh, I don't think that's, I think that 60 days is probably out the window. You're probably looking at probably, I'm guessing twice that. Number one, coming in at 4.67 stars from our staff, Halo Combat Evolve 2001. This is a first-person shooter video game developed by Bungie and published by Microsoft Game Studios. It was released as a launch title for Microsoft Xbox's video game console on November 15th, 2001. Microsoft released versions of the game for Windows and Mac OS X in 2003. The game was later released as a downloadable Xbox original for the Xbox 360. Halo is set in the 26th century, with the player assuming the role of the Master Chief, a cybernetically enhanced super soldier. The Chief is accompanied by Cortana, hmm, sounds familiar, and artificial intelligence. Players battle various aliens as they attempt to uncover the secrets of the Halo, a ring-shaped artificial world. More than 5 million copies had been sold worldwide by November 2005. A high-definition remake, Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary, was released for Xbox 360 on the 10th anniversary of the original game's launch. Anniversary was re-released for Xbox One as part of Halo The Master Chief Collection in 2014 and was released on Windows PCs in March 2020. Hey, that's this month. And now we have one honorable mention that I don't know exactly how to squeeze in, but we're going to do it because it was brought up uh, by my good friend Jay Wilson, who is the director of product management at Faxon. He goes, does Duck Hunt count? Because I really like that game. So let's talk about Duck Hunt for a second. 
released in 1984 as a light gun shooter video game developed and published by Nintendo for the NES video game console. The game was first released in Japan in April 1984 and was released as a launch game for the NES in North America in October 1985, with it also releasing in Europe two years later. In Duck Hunt, players use the NES Zapper pew, 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 in combination with the CRT television to shoot ducks that appear on the screen. The ducks appear one or two at a time, and the player is given three shots to shoot them down by that stupid dog. The game initially received few reviews, but was given mild critical praise. Prior to the NES version, Nintendo also made a Duck Hunt game based on Laser Clay Shooting System, released in 1976. If you're looking to up your game for gun cleaning and maintenance, you have to check out the Tipton Ultra Gun Vice. Uh, this thing is amazing. It's incredibly modular, uh, pretty lightweight, but really, really heavy duty, all the way down to the steel tube frame. All these different modular pieces and parts, even the accessory trays are solvent resistant, and uh, they have excellent gripping pads to make sure that you don't scrape up the gun that you're working on. They even work on things like crossbows. So if you want something that's going to be the one-stop vice for all of your gun cleaning and maintenance needs, you definitely need to check them out. Uh, you could head to tiptonclean.com to check out all the specs, all the reviews, see some more photos uh, of this vice in action. And we're actually going to be using this particular one for some research and development projects uh, for some new products from Faxon coming up soon. And we're excited to share both those products and the footage of the testing with you. Uh, so again, visit tiptonclean.com and check out the Ultra Gun Vice. But this is uh, one of ours and I'll throw up some uh, prettier images since this will be a little hard to see on the webcam. Um, but this is one of our pinned gas block barrels. Now this is one of our gunner profiles. So if you are uh, familiar with our proprietary gunner profile that kind of mixes the best of both worlds from the pencil and the SOCOM. But this is basically how it ships. It ships with the barrel, the gas block uh, with the set screws hand tightened on, um, as well as the cross pin. But what you'll notice, and we'll show you uh, a larger image of this, is the fact that the notch is already there. So you could see that um, you know it's done well, it's not chewed up, it's not biting into your finish. Obviously, we know that it isn't too far uh, you know, into the sidewall that it would cause any sort of uh, malfunction or issue. Um, but you know, how does this how do we do this? And as far as like machining is concerned, like where does this happen in our process? Uh, kind of how, how do we get there? So that happens right after the gas port is drilled and the barrel, um, the receiver extension pin is drilled and pressed in. So the gas port and extension pin, which is the little silver or black pin that slides into that notch of your upper receiver, um, those two things are done at the same time because they need to be perfectly in line with each other um, so that you're not having where your barrel is your gas port slightly off center and now your gas block has to sit off center and it, it causes all kinds of issues. So those two operations are done at the same time. And then right after that, we notch the barrels in, in production in one of our mills. Um, we've got dedicated fixtures built for it. So that indexes off of that pin location and the gas port location so that you know that notch is in the proper location to line up with the 
pre-drilled holes that are in the gas block. Yeah. So this is like coming at it as it's coming together, you know, and then it hits our QC again before it's done anyway, you know, so it's, it's not like, uh, you know, taking, and I, and don't get me wrong. I don't want to poo poo talented gunsmiths who do this all the time and there's no problem, but for people who are just getting into it or who might be a little nervous about it, I mean, this, this thing is going to go through our normal QC even after that notch is done. Uh, you know, when it's done in one of our mills, like you said, with dedicated fixtures, it's not being thrown in a vice and drilled with a hand drill or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And if, and if you, um, if someone decides to do it at home and feels like they have the, the right tools to do it, if that notch is not drilled in the correct location, your gas block's not going to sit centered. It's going to be off slightly and that can cause functioning issues. And if it, if it's off at such an angle that when you have the gas block pinned that the gun won't cycle because the gas port's not aligning with the um, gas port in the gas block, um, if, if that's not working, then basically scrap that barrel or you have to accept that you're not going to be able to use a pinned gas block. And, you know, the, I think one of the most interesting things about it is the sheer fact that it's in the first line. So for those of you who aren't familiar, you know, our complete uh, rifle lines come in the first line, which is kind of geared towards the entry level, um, you know, gun owner, somebody who's looking to get into their first AR style rifle, uh, obviously PCC as well. And, you know, they're, they're, they're feature rich for being stocked, but there's definitely room for upgrade. You know, they're kind of meant to grow along with you. Whereas our summit line is going to be the ones that are a little more already like special outfitted. How did we come to the conclusion? Because these were about ready to launch before I, I came on staff. How did we come to the conclusion that, yes, we want the Bantam uh, 9 mils to be part of the first line and not the summit line? The AR-9 itself is a fairly uh, entry-level friendly uh, platform, you know, so it sort of made sense to us to make our first two offerings in the first line. Yeah. And, you know, Kurt, from a marketing standpoint because obviously you guys were building up the branding and everything for the bantam uh before i came on staff you know how did that how did that look kind of how did that take shape and you know what what decisions were made to make it go like yes this this one is going to be first line and we want to capitalize on what jay said of you know this is something that is pretty you know entry-level friendly as far as the platform it was really for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one, the, the main thing is, and I think that one of the main reasons that a lot of people like the AR9 platform is, I mean, obviously the, the ammo is less expensive. Um, and it's just, so it's, it's easier to, sh- it's, you know, more cost effective to shoot. But the hard part is, is if you look at a lot of other, other PCCs on the market, the, the price points on them are, are really high. Um, and so that was one of the big challenges that, that we really had to work through was to try and figure out, all right, how can we offer, you know, a really strong offering, but, but still, you know, keep it at a price point that, that fits the need of, of, of folks who wanted to have it, you know? And I think the other piece to it too is, um, it, the other reason that we put it in the first line is as we did, as we focused on that first time shooter, um, it's not, honestly, it's not that there's less recoil on the PCCs. It's actually a little bit more, not much. It's negligible. But I think it's also just, it's a perception thing. You know, um, ARs a lot of time, they're, they're louder. And so for a first-time shooter, that can be a little bit jarring. 
Um, and so it is. I just think that the, the um, AR9, the PCCs are just more approachable in a lot of ways. And you put a you put the tag note in here for me uh, <laughs> that just says mag locked things. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you explain that and kind of what maybe some yeah, of the first so that one's more that one's more rifles i had like one more crazy talking point about the roster yeah, so yeah. okay so they have to have like obviously there has to be like some way to get on the roster sure, uh, sure. like new guns so it's it's a little bit easier for revolvers but let's say you want a new i don't know striker fire gun to get on it you have to meet the requirement of micro stamping and so Currently, there's no technology for it because it's not even as easy as putting a little like stamp engraving on the firing pin. They want it two locations on on the on the casing. So you're just going to add like all this crazy mechanical stuff in there. That's just like, more possibility to break. And to me, that just doesn't seem as safe. So it's just like a weird oxymoron of like the safe list of, of handguns that Californians can own. That's. Yep. <laughs> I'm speechless. When we were talking before about setting this up, I was like, I think this will be fun, but I hate to use the word fun because we're really not making fun about this. You know, John, moving to you, I mean, what have you seen as far as like friends coming to you, asking questions, what should they get? Like, what has been the biggest stumbling block? Has it been the idea that they have to wait all this time and that there's so much red tape, or is it more? Like it's just a whole new world to even own a firearm. What, what has been kind of the biggest thing for you? Uh, definitely the latter. Um, I think that there's a little bit of that like system shock of, oh, like I have to wait or, you know, oh, there's DROs and then you need to do DROs to also purchase ammo in California now as well. Um, so there's a little bit of getting used to that. But I would say like far and away, uh, the the larger but sillier problem is like, if you took that period where you were getting into firearms and maybe you were trying to consume all of these different opinions and like, you know, gather a sense of like what your own leanings might be about any specific topic, like, oh, that gun's kind of cool. Like maybe that would be something I'd want to check out in the future. Whatever time scale that that happened on, imagine condensing that down to like two or three weeks. So like yeah. I have all of these friends that are, you know, they are trying to legitimately hop in um, and are just kind of struggling to digest this massive amount of information. And um, obviously it's like, it's what we do for a living. So I'm like, hey, check out this article on my work website. But they'll kind of skim it and I'll usually get more questions back than, you know, led us to that point to begin with. So um, there's definitely been, I, I would say like the, uh, the acceleration of like the window of consumption for that information has definitely sped up. And, and it leads to, I think a lot of um, maybe a little bit more misunderstandings because there is that background level of panic where people, you know, feel like they need to, to grab onto this info and like consume it now, basically. All right. So let's hop right into it. Things to consider when you are picking a barrel. Um, you know, Pat, let's start with you when, when you're barrel shopping for yourself, or maybe you have a friend or a family member asking you, okay, where do I even start? You know, what are some of the things that you tell them to consider? First and foremost, um, you got to kind of define your role. You, you need to determine before you start buying parts, what is this rifle going to be doing or pistol or, you know, any other firearm for that matter. So that's, that's the most important thing. Um, 
there are some caveats with local and federal laws. So if you want to build a rifle federally, you have to have a 16 inch minimum overall length for your barrel. Now that can be in the form of a 14.5 that's been pinned and welded, or alternatively, you could go with something like our integral muzzle device barrels where the muzzle device is machined into the barrel, but it still meets that overall length of 16 inches. So once you've kind of got that piece out of the way, you have to determine what purpose is this going to serve. And, and it may not necessarily be just one role. So you may have an AR that you want to build that you want to use for home defense, but you're also going to be doing some general just plinking or target shooting or even maybe some competition with. So a lot of the different roles for these, um, or a lot of the different roles can be filled by the same gun, but you do want to kind of lay those out before you start purchasing parts because your role is going to dictate how you build out the whole system um, once you move, you know, from buying just the barrel. And it's always, I mean, every day is a unique challenge when when you think about the requirements. But yeah, like I said, there there are still some departments that require all leather footwear, much like the like the post office and, and other entities. And, and we do, um, you know, we do have a, a footwear line that we build for them. Um, but there are some that that you know the requirements are a little bit different, and and, and their code might simply say you know polishable toe, uh, you know black footwear. Um, you know, it might give a height requirement. It might require that they have a safety toe. Um, you know, so so for a lot of those, the the code blue. You know, we find that code blue works for for the the majority of departments in the United States. And then like I said, we have other footwear options um, for those that, that it does not work for. Um, but they're like, it goes back to our earlier statement. There's never one product that can meet everyone's needs. Cause like I said, but you know, if you go into the officers of, of New York city, you know, what the, what the officers need versus the, you know, the, the transit officers are going to have a different requirement. And then of course, you know, that, when you get into large municipalities, you have very specialized uh, uniform officers. So, for instance, they, the sanitation department has its own officers in New York City. Um, yeah. and, and they play a very vital role. I mean, they, they maintain the, you know, the, the health and, and safety of the city to make sure that, that you know, restaurants or, or, or no small businesses illegally dumping you know, harmful material in any way. They have to dispose of you know, businesses. Wherever there's activity, there is waste, and it has to be disposed of. So that was always something unique to learn about. You know, some of these specialized, um, you know, specialized areas of focus that a lot of these municipalities have to overcome. You know, we when we think about law enforcement, and, and it was a mistake that I made. I mean, the first thing that comes to your mind is we all grew up watching cops on TV. I mean, the first yeah. thing that comes to mind is officers in their cruisers chasing bad guys, and that yeah. does happen. It happens often, but there are a tremendous amount of you know, officers out there that play very vital and dangerous and supportive roles, um, you know, but, but we don't, sometimes we don't take pause to consider what that might look like. So when we build footwear, we get an opportunity to reach out and, and, and really understand, you know, our customers and where we're trying to go with it. And, 
and we're constantly tweaking and manipulating and, and, and changing what we have to offer, you know, as, as their needs change. Um, so we'll show a, a picture of the artwork you designed for us um, that's going to be on a custom giveaway FX19 of ours. And uh, if you could just kind of walk us through kind of what your creative process is when you are making these designs and maybe some of the other work that you've done. I know, I think you work with like leather and stuff like that too. So anything that, that you could shed some light on, on, on what your design process is like. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been an artist um, ever since I could hold a pencil. Um, I've tried every medium you could probably think of, um, you know, pencil, paint, I've blown glass, I've done um, just a bunch of different things and I've always really enjoyed it. Um, currently, I'm working full-time for myself, which is great um, as an artist, which I never thought would be possible, but I am doing leather full-time, so I get to do um, luxury bags and some custom pieces and just some fun stuff. Um, so with kind of having a lifetime of passion for art on top of me being a natural tomboy, um, a lot of my art pieces do come out, um, I think pretty balanced. I think I can capture more of a feminine side, so to speak, um, while kind of keeping to being very just tomboyish and masculine in a lot of ways. Um, and so when it came to your guys' design and we're trying to find that line of how do we create a feminine design without it just being pink or turquoise, like, or floral, like you see a lot of, um, quote unquote, feminine guns. Um, I kind of just, I I won't lie. I tried the design several times and didn't like any of them. And it wasn't until I just went back to who I was that I was like, okay, I like this. Um, and it's just a little bit of everything. Um, You know, I think sugar skulls have gotten a lot of popularity lately um, and they're colorful and they're pretty. um, But, you know, with that skull kind of brings that balance and um, the flowers I did around its head, which are pretty traditional for a sugar skull. I actually changed it to a poppy since you guys do a lot of stuff for veterans. Um, So just a little bit of uh, symbolism there. And then a lot of the colors I try to stay away from just some of those traditional colors while still keeping it pretty light. So to speak. Um, so I had a lot of fun designing it and I'm really honored that you guys asked me to help. Oh yeah, for sure. We love it. I love the the whole poppy tie-in. That's great. And, and the thing that when uh, Kurt sent me over the artwork and I was starting to make the rest of this stuff, you know, for our web carousels and all that kind of jazz, I was like, gosh, it like makes me think of like someone getting a mom tattoo, yeah. you know, like that's like it ties in, it ties in so well. I think their product headline says it best, ring steel, not your ears. If you haven't checked out uh, episode 27 of the Facts and Blogging podcast, we actually spoke uh, to Jared from Caldwell Shooting about some of their uh, extensive line of hearing protection and accessories. One of the things that they sent out to us was a set of their Emac Shadows. And the nice thing about the Emac Shadows is not only are they excellent ear protection for the range or for training, or even when you're just mowing your lawn or working with power tools, uh, but they also are a Bluetooth headset. So if you're into earbuds and power beats and AirPods and all that kind of thing, you can still get great stereo sound, dual microphones and device control all right here from the shadows. 
And again, when you use those foam tips, uh, you also get a 25 dB noise reduction rating as well. So if you're out on the range all day, you're working on a project in the garage, you wanna listen to music, you still need to take calls, that sort of thing, no need to be taken on and off the giant muffs. You could just have a pair of shadows in and you can find these over at caldwellshooting.com. And don't forget to check out our whole episode about hearing protection with Caldwell at faxandfirearms.com slash blog. So just like you said, you know, I try my best to give you a Photoshop rendering of kind of what, what we're looking at and such and, yeah. and what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, with the Nautilus rifle it was kind of our first step into the whole limited edition thematic build type thing. So we, we started small, if you will. We just wanted something that was going to be attractive and, and something that was going to pay homage to the Navy um, using that blue and gold, using... Um, um, you know, the anchor engraving and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was a, a, a lot of fun to do. But then when we moved to doing the Mustang, you know, part of what people recall when they think of a P-51 Mustang is is going to be things like nose art, things like the checkerboard, yeah. things like, you know, the the brushed steel aluminum look. Um, you know, when when these designs come to you, I mean, you've got to physically, you know, it's not like direct to garment printing where, you know, you just like plug it in right. and it goes for you. You actually have to hand stencil these things. Am I correct? Correct. So um, like with the Mustang build, uh, we actually utilized the laser as well as stenciling, which is one of the really cool things that we can offer with the laser. Um, but, you know, your the shark mouth on the front, uh, the checkerboard and the striping was all done by hand, um, you know, laid out with high temp vinyl. So basically we're spraying a color, uh, go through, lay out your stencils, spray colors over top, you know, remove the stencils to show what's underneath. Um, for the stars on the receivers, as well as the Mustang emblems on those, um, we were actually able to go in and lay down a base color of that blue and then come in and lay the top color over top and use the laser um, to just remove that top color to expose the blue underneath. So doing that, you're able to get a really, really crisp engraving. Sometimes, you know, with stencils, it might not be exactly perfect when you're trying to get that level of detail, like with the letters in Mustang. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to use the laser, um, one, it makes it a little bit quicker on our end. And two, you can get that really nice, um, I guess just more of a finished look on those really fine details. Yeah, so we've done everything from flying World War II veterans in the airplane they used during the service to the Indy 500 to uh, college and high school football games, Reds games, Bengals games, to the airplane in front of us, our B-25. We actually flew that airplane across the Atlantic Ocean in 2018 to Sardinia, Italy to film a, a remake of, of Catch-22 for uh, the streaming service Hulu. So the reality is anybody that'll pay us to keep these things in the air, yeah. if, if we can make, the, make it work, we, we, it, it, it helps us out because we get keep the airplanes flying and somebody else is paying the bill. Um, this is, that's one of the things is you got to keep them flying. You got to keep fluids yeah. running through them. That's, that's. So, so this, you guys flew this plane yeah. back over the pond, as it were. Yeah. How long does that take? 
31 hours oh going gosh. there and about 35 coming Without back. any creature comforts. No, <laughs> literally none. So it doesn't, it doesn't even have heat. Oh my gosh. Um, it took seven days, five flying days, four hour legs. One day was eight hours. Um, no heat. Turns that they left uh, two years ago yesterday, actually. Turns out it doesn't matter if it's May and 85 degrees in Cincinnati. At 10,000 feet in Greenland, it's still cold. <laughs> so they were flying for four hours at a time in 20 degree ambient temperatures, sitting there with nothing, no movement, freezing. That's fantastic. We actually, they actually flew the ex exact same ferry route World War II pilots would have flown to get to the European theater. So landing on World War II air, airfields and the whole nine yards. So it's pretty amazing, amazing deal. Now, what, what about this plane? Was this a, a shell when it came to you? Was it? Functional, like what? How? What state did the bomber come in? Um, so we bought this as a restored flying airplane. Uh, we want. We had. We had a trainer. We had a couple trainers. We had a couple. We had a fighter and a couple fighter projects, and we wanted something uh, with some more ramp presence, meaning size. Um, and this is about as big as I'm willing to go in terms of what what we want to deal with and manage and operate. Two engine medium bomber. It's it fits in our hangar door. We don't have to have a, a entirely separate hangar for it. The costs aren't totally insane. This has twice as many engines as everything else in the in in the facility. Yeah. So that right there is a significant increase in running costs and maintenance costs. You can you go to a four engine bomber and you've doubled it again, and that's that's starting to get pretty pretty impressive in terms of what it costs to do. So we wanted something that was reasonably okay to operate from a expenses standpoint, but we also wanted something historically significant that tells a, a good part story or good part of the World War II story. We feel like the B-25 does that. Um, so it's the B-25 bomber. Um, it's a medium bomber. It was used in uh, North Africa and a lot of other places, but probably the thing it's most famous for is it was the bomber that first attacked mainland Japan through the Doolittle Raid. So they actually put 18 of these airplanes on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and took them off of the aircraft carrier to drop bombs on mainland Japan. Well, John, I wanted to talk to you a little bit first, you know, as, as someone who's maybe figuring out about expert voice for the first time, you know, if they are someone like us, like a Faxon, where we're a, a manufacturer, we're a firearms dealer, um, you know, what other types of, of brands kind of in that sphere does Expert Voice, you know, host? And why, why do people come to Expert Voice for, for what you do? Yeah, yeah, really good question, Dustin. So um, we've been lucky enough to be in the shooting sports space for uh, almost 15 years now. And so we get to work with a lot of fantastic brands like Faxon. So not only do we work with firearm manufacturers, you know, ammunition manufacturers, optics, um, accessories. So think about Blackhawk or Vortex or Federal Ammo or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I think we work with about 125 manufacturers that are in the direct shooting sports industry today. And so it, it's really fun. Um, the fact that we get to work with such a broad variety of manufacturers um, in the space. And as a manufacturer, what do people get if they decide they, you know, they want their business um, to be part of expert voice, you know, what platform are you really opening up for these brands? 
Yeah. So the, what we've built at Expert Voice is uh, we, we, we call it advocacy marketing, right? We call it experts. Uh, and essentially what we've had the opportunity to do is we've aggregated who we feel like are some of the most influential experts in the entire industry. So these are folks that they may work at a big box shop that your, your products are sold into. They may work at an independent dealer. Uh, whether that's through distribution or through a buy group, or they may be uh, industry professionals, right? People that are out in the field every single day that are using your products to actually get their jobs done, whether it's uh, someone on the front lines, like a, a police officer, uh, someone in the military, a first responder, a medic, et cetera. And so when you become part of Expert Voice, you're essentially gaining access to this incredible group of experts. That, and they have opinions on what they like and what they recommend uh, as far as gear and what they use. So the first thing you get is you get access to this tremendous audience that, that we've aggregated. All right. So, Ryan, before we get started, if you want to mind just, uh, you know, telling the folks in our audience, you know, who you are and, and what you do for Crimson Trace. Yeah, so my name is Ryan Donahue. So I'm the director of brand management over here um, and daily basis handle everything on the product side. So all of our new products on our lasers, light sites and scopes, as well as the fun marketing side. So two sides of the coin and that's my day to day. For sure. Now, how long have you been with Crimson Trace? Has it, has it been uh, a while? Three years. Three, three years. years. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I, I think pretty much everybody, even folks who aren't in, you know, the, the firearms industry kind of recognize that that CT logo, especially on, you know, lights and lasers and, and things of that variety. But you, you really have a lot more than that uh, to offer, especially when it comes to, you know, optics and, and things of that sort. Yeah, we, um, so this year is our 26th year. Last year we celebrated our 25th anniversary. Um, so this year uh, has been a special one for us too, because we've been rolling out more and more products. But what you're alluding to, because I'm sure your fans have seen them on a whole bunch of your facts and guns that you guys are putting out there, is that we got into the sights and scopes game. So Crimson Trace has been known for 25 years that if you were going to put a laser or put a light on your gun, that was the company you were going to turn to. Um, so we've been in the game for more than two decades and we decided that it was time to get into some other stuff i think earlier this week you went ahead and you, did you drop off like the first supply kit over to children yeah, and everything yes so um this monday i actually took in um there was 15 x-fog units and four bottles of moondog industries anti-fog spray that was our first round of donations i took them up there showed them how to use it demoed the product for them and everything and they are incredibly excited to get these things out into circulation I'm hoping that in the next day or two, we get some pictures of them in use. That would make me so happy to see. Um, but yeah, we, uh, that, what we took in on Monday was such a small portion of what we have in total to give at the end of this. That was literally just, we had raffled off a few things at the field the last couple of weeks since we reopened and we had, I think $800 and that's what that bought. Got 15 units and four bottles of spray. Uh, but we've got so much more to give them once this is all over. You know, the, the item that I have in front of me is this puck unit and, um, you know, what's the kind of the primary high points, you know, that you would uh, that you would, you know, tell someone who's interested in one of these and maybe, you know, wants to make it part of their vault system? 
Oh yeah. Boy, I could, I could take the whole episode up with that. <laughs> it's, um, you know, back to that being designed for the vault. So it was designed to put into your standard vault and give it that smart aspect that, you know, we've come to rely on in this century. So you take it, you put that in your vault and it is going to tell you through the lockdown logic app on your phone, the temperature, the humidity, Um, but the best part about it, it's going to tell you if somebody is trying to get into your vault, it has a vibration sensor. Uh, it's going to tell you if somebody opens your door of your vault and successfully gets in there. Um, and it's, it's all done through the app. So it's really, it's taking your current vault product and giving it the technology that we want it to have today. From what I've seen, you know, from all the the news clips and, and previous interviews that you've done is uh, when you approached at least that, that second uh, person who was taking, who had taken the rifle from the squad car, you know, as soon as you came up on them and addressed them, you know, it was, it, it seemed like they didn't puff up and try to come back at you. They were like, okay. You know, they just kind of backed off, like hand away from the trigger. They were ready to give it up because you approached them, you know, in a way of like, this is not going to end well for you. If, if you, if you be yeah, fun, I didn't give yeah. them any opportunity or I didn't give them any choice to make any other choice besides you didn't do what I say. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm going to, you know, do what I have to do. Um, that second video or that second video, that video of me taking a second rifle. It's very much like what happened with the first, except the first, sorry, I can't wake up. The <laughs> first, right. I, uh, it was even faster. It was even a lot faster because I came around a corner and took it from him. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't know I was there until literally I was right on top of him with the pistol. So, uh, yeah, and <laughs> it's pointed out to me numerous times that it was, it's essentially just the violence of action. I made my, I went from very hopefully covert to incredibly overt. And right. from the, from the, from the decision to draw from my, from my pocket and mm-hmm. go across the street from that draw to my voice being projected, I just broke all the concealment that I had. And I, I froze them, you know, I froze yeah. them from uh, moving. They had no decision to make besides the decision I was giving them, but they were too frozen to make that decision as well. So I made it for them. You know, kind of what do you do on the regular? Um, so I, for the most part, I shoot three guns. So it's where we use a rifle, a pistol and a shotgun, and we shoot at different clay, steel and paper targets. Okay. And, and how long have you been doing that? Um, about two and a half years or so. Okay, very cool. And what, uh, which portion of that does Faxon fall into? What do you use of use of ours? Um, so my rifle is totally Faxon, and I use a Faxon aftermarket barrel on my pistol. Okay, great. What what uh, what pistol are you using? I use a Glock thirty four. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we do the Glock thirty four barrels in a, a a couple of different finishes. Which one is yours? Are you running the plain black one, the ten? I have the chameleon. The chameleon. Always a popular choice. The chameleon; those are hard to hard to keep in stock. And and you've been shooting Faxon stuff for all two years, or is this your first year with Faxon? Um, since I did my first custom build rifle, which was my in the beginning of my second year, I've been using the Faxon parts in my rifle and the barrel of my pistol. Very good. You know, you're you're talking about you know making them for even stuff that you did in, and have done as a police officer working undercover narcotics and so on. You know, I know every department 
bourbon is different, but what is the standard issue holster that you would be given if you weren't making or providing your own? Would it, would it be a Kydex holster? Would it be just like a leather holster? What, what was for your department? What would they have given you? Well, uh, so uh, I was the guy writing the policy at the time. Uh, so I, I had a specific requirement that I felt the guys needed to have for any kind of undercover work. Uh, a lot of departments, it really, do, it really varies nationwide. Some departments say, hey, here's your duty issue and here is your off-duty issue, which also doubles as your undercover issue. Uh, but most of the time the guys have like a requirement where it needs to be a passive level, level one retention holster, and it needs to cover the trigger guard and that's it. Go get them tiger. Yeah. And when you have, you know, wide, uh, a very large disparity there that you can kind of fit in, you know, it kind of opens up the market to just about anything, which is good in a way, uh, because, you know, everybody needs to tailor their kit to themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also enables a lot of, um, you know, in my opinion, substandard products to kind of get let in and, you know, in law enforcement, it's different, you know, guys, uh, civilians wear guns because they want to protect themselves. And and I'm not saying this in a, in a bad way at all, but you know, you have guys that have a, a cell phone on their hip and they utilize that cell phone holster way more every day than they utilize a gun holster. Sure. And so, uh, you know, understanding the the comfort, the functionality, the durability and all that is not as familiar to them as, uh, you know, a guy working undercover law enforcement because, you, you know, we use that every day and that's a tool that we use every day to come home every night. I also don't have any expectation that the demand is going to uh, reduce much, at, if at all, between now and November. Um, right. Uh, you know, with the uncertainty about the, the national uncertainty as to, as to what the outcome of the election is going to be. And, you know, if, if, if it, if it goes, if it goes one way, you're going to have a push for more gun control. If it goes the other way, I have a, a lot of people expect that you could see more rioting, um, and more, more unrest, Absolutely. Uh, more burning, more looting. So there's no incentive there for people to stop um, stocking up um, anytime soon. I, I just, I just don't see it. Um, I think people are going to continue to buy all the ammunition, certainly ammunition they they can get their hands on. At some point, you, I guess, you would reach a saturation level on on firearms, but we aren't anywhere close to that. I mean, you figure the official number that people throw around is 100 million gun owners. Um, that was before the surge, you know, supposedly there are anywhere five, 8 million new gun owners that have been added since there's a lot of headroom still there. And a lot of people, uh, you still read accounts of people who never thought they would ever buy a firearm and never, they never wanted a gun. They never want to even think about having a gun. They're buying guns now. Um, and, uh, you know, you hear, you hear these stories. Over and over again, we've run some of them on our side. And if you've spent any time on social media, you see the uh, people who were frequently middle of the rotors and just never even considered it. Sometimes people even who are actively anti-gun, but they see what's happening and they want the ability to protect themselves, to protect them their families. <laughs> and I call Anthony and that's when uh, we started the second is for everyone diversity shoot in February, 2015. And the goal of it is to get all people, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, political background, to come out, shoot guns, 
learn what real gun owners are, what real gun owners are like, uh, learn New Jersey gun laws or wherever you are, learn those firearms laws and learn how you can fight back against them by being part of Second Amendment advocacy groups. And that's how it started. Um, I have friends, classes I've taken and I like, hey, Tony, you should, you know, um, and everybody just added a little bit. Uh, you should do this. Uh, you should start charging people. The reason I, I didn't charge people for over a year, it was just free. The range charged their fee. I got nothing. And they were like, dude, how are you doing this? How are you paying for the ammo? How are you paying for the food? And I'm like, over time? <laughs> like over time for my regular job. Right. And they're like, nah, that's not how you do that. Uh, and then I ran to my friend Rob Pincus, and Rob was like, why don't you go to the industry and ask the industry to help? So I did. And the industry stepped forward. And many companies have helped me, including Faxon. Um, then uh, Maj Torre contact, you know, because we both started in February of 2015, our organizations. And <laughs> he was like, yo, bro, you got to get a GoFundMe and a Patreon. Yeah. I'm like, why? He was like, so you're not stressing over money. <laughs> you right, can do right. your job. Yeah. So that's what we did. And um, people, man, people in, in, in the industry, people on the shows, there are a lot of people who might not be able to go to rallies themselves. They might not be able, they might not even want to get involved in the political side, but they're willing to support someone who is. For those of you who have been watching the podcast for a while, you may know that uh, we had Ryan Donahue from Crimson Trace on for one of our episodes to talk all things optics and red dots and some of the exciting things that CT has coming up. But I just wanted to share one of my personal favorite products of theirs, and that is their Railmaster Pro, the CMR204. So not only is it a tactical light, it's also a laser, and it has all of the industry-proven technology that Crimson Trace has been known for for so many years. But they're not just limited to things like lights and lasers. They've made a big splash in the electro-optics game, whether it's looking at something like a traditional rifle scope or maybe even their new battle optic, which you may or may not have seen in some TV shows and movies recently. They have a lot to offer. So obviously you're going to be seeing some more stuff uh, of Crimson Trace popping up with us here at Facts and Firearms. You may have even seen it uh, staged on our limited edition Mustang rifle that came out in the spring of 2020. Again, lots of cool stuff from them, just like the CMR204 or anything in their Railmaster series. We would encourage you to check them out at crimsontrace.com. Um, Mark, how do we get started? Okay. Showing that it is empty and checking that it is empty. Uh, that's important because the first step in disassembly is dry firing. So you want to aim in a safe direction, dry fire. The trigger needs to be back for disassembly. Uh, otherwise, the slide will not come forward. Uh, the first thing is there's a secret move. So if you grab the gun, thumb behind the back strap and over the slide, you need to pull back just where the barrel disengages. You can actually feel this on the bottom of your finger. So when it pops back that far, you grab your takedown lever, pull down, and then the slide will come right off. Very good. And yeah, that's something if you've purchased an FX-19 from us or one of our great dealers, um, there is a kind of a picture by picture uh, step of doing that. But seeing it on video, I think, is is always handy because, you know, you don't want to be the guy at the range right. trying to clear something up <laughs> and right. getting stuff jacked in. So and, and what pieces are we looking at now? So to help understand why that is important, I don't know which camera is going to grab this, but the takedown lever, which this is out of the gun, has a groove on the 
on the one side. That will face to the rear of the frame because that groove engages an opposite groove in the barrel that faces forward. So they are mechanically locked together when in battery. When you pull that barrel back, it pulls it off that lip and allows you to pull the takedown lever down, which lets the slide come forward. Well, let's talk about that as far as the cancellation is concerned. You know, uh, an, an acronym that gets thrown around is NRR ratings. Um, could you explain for folks kind of what NRR means or, or what they're looking for when they're shopping for hearing protection? Yeah, so the NRR rating is a rating at national uh, noise reduction rating or whatever. Uh, they rate it in decibels. Um, you'll see somewhere around 20 NRR up to pushing 30 on some of the bigger uh, earmuffs, uh, what they're rated at. Something to keep in mind is that one step in NRR isn't, it's not a straight line. So the one decibel increase in NRR rating is a big increase in protection. I wanna say it's like a 10 times, like every time you go up, it's 10 times more. So to go from a 20 to a 30 NRR, it's, you know, a hundred, you know, percent better or whatever. Um, it, it's pretty, it, it gets pretty technical there, but, uh, to keep in mind that just one one tick up in the NRR rating is a really big deal. Um, you want to get as high NRR as what's comfortable. Um, most of them that that are considered safe, especially for shooting, are in that 22 and up range. Um, there are a few out there that are in 20. You know, it's no secret that the things that you keep in your gun safe are important. They're valuable. They're things that you want, you need, you need to hold on to, whether it's just your firearms and supplies. Or I know a lot of people like to use their gun safes to hold things like tax returns and other important documents, family photos. All of those things are incredibly important. And to help keep better track of it and better maintenance on those items, Lockdown has a series of devices and utilities and tools to help keep those things things that you treasure safe. One of my personal favorites that we actually use here in the office quite a bit uh, around our storage for cameras and lighting and things like that is just one of their dehumidifiers. Now they have lots of other stuff. You may have already heard of the goldenrod. You've heard a lot of stuff about the lockdown puck, uh, which is a smart device to help keep your gun drawer, your safe, your tools, even your wine cellar safe uh, in checking up on the humidity and the atmosphere in those places as well. We did a great episode with Lockdown several weeks back that you could check out at factsandfirearms.com slash blog, where we go through pretty much their entire product line and everything from the Lockdown Puck to dehumidifiers to even things like, you know, storage, rack shelving, things of that variety, keeping your safe, keeping your gun room clean, organized and protected and you can even get something like this one of their room or gun safe dehumidifiers if you're looking to organize that space in your home again whether it's for your gun safe or just anything that you hold valuable we'd recommend you go to lockdown.com kurt staubach who's been on the show before uh here at fax and was telling me about you and telling me about second call and he showed me his membership card uh and on the back there's a bit of a script mm -hmm. You know, that goes through, okay, after you've called 911, 
And it even says what to say when you call 911. But this, you know, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to say. I mean, just for the folks who are who who are listening and we'll we'll show a picture of one of your cards, too. But, um, you know, what are some things that people do need to keep in mind if they've found themselves in this situation where they've had to use their firearm uh, in self-defense or brandish their firearm in self-defense and need to start making those calls? You know, what are some of the high level tips that, that you could give them? Well, the first thing they need to realize is that the moment they call 911, they're on tape and the criminal investigation against them has begun. Now, I'm not saying that the, the 911 operator is out to get you, but he or she will testify against you in court. Perfect example of that is in the Zimmerman case. George Zimmerman never made a 911 call, but five other people did who heard that, and they were grilled by both sides on the stand for what they said and heard on that 911 call. So that's important to know that as soon as you make that call, that uh, that the game is on, so to speak. Yeah. Then you want to make it as short as, as possible. You identify yourself. My name is Sean Maloney. I live at 4793 Willow Ridge Court. I was in fear for my life. There's been a shooting, sending ambulance and police. I'm six foot two. I'm bald. I'll be in my driveway <laughs> yeah. with a white T-shirt and boxer shorts on. And <laughs> don't go out there me. with your gun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Identify who, who you are and what's going on. And that's it. You've given them everything you, need, you needed to give them. You've summoned help. Now, at that point in time, it's time to protect yourself against the secondary thing. And that's that's the, the criminal justice system and sometimes the criminal injustice system. We still have we have the best system in the world. But at times it's certainly not colorblind and it's not it, it's not blind to the, the facts uh, real or what they imagine them to be. So that's simply uh the first time I gave that seminar was at the Great American Outdoor Show, and there was gaffes from everybody. I got surrounded by the media. You're telling people what to say, and I won't call you're telling them to be deceitful. I said, no, I'm not at all. I'm just telling them that they don't need to make any other statements until they're represented by counsel. Right. Uh, there was a Supreme Court justice 100 years ago, and he, he used some famous words. Any attorney worth his salt will advise his client to shut up. Mm-hmm. And not to say anything until his, his counsel is there. And that's what you have to remember. Now, on top of everything else that's going on after you use your firearm self-defense, you're suffering from the, uh, the psychological and physical aspects oh, of a threatening sure. encounter. Yeah. Norepinephrine is just dumped in your body. Your, your, your heart rate's increased. You've had tunnel vision, hearing deprivation, uh, the adrenaline. You really don't know what happened. But that's the moment the police want you to get, make a statement. Well, that's the statement. That, at that point in time, that you were the most... Uh, a non-credible person that there is because you have no idea what happened. Right. And over time, that'll come back. Sometimes it's weeks, days, months, sometimes not all that ever comes back. That's just the way the body uh, uh, responds. And so that's why say nothing and then we'll move forward. Um, So our first one is uh, actually from right here in Ohio. Mike from North Canton asked, do you really make your barrels from scratch? Patrick. We do. Um, it's actually amazing to me when I started in this industry, not realizing how many people don't, Um, you know, and then working here for a little bit, that was just kind of the expectation. So you end up talking to some other companies and they go, yeah, we make barrels. And then you talk a little bit further and goes, "Ah, you don't, you know, Um, so (laughs) so that's a little bit of a bragging thing that we have. Um, You know, it's something we take a lot of pride in. You go out onto our floor any given day, there's a semi in there unloading bundles of steel. Right. Um, you know, we have we have chrome molly vanadium and, and stainless steel coming in every week, every other week. Um, we've got big cranes that run through the building that have to pick up the bundles and and then it gets turned into a barrel from there. 
Right. So that's not something um, every company in the industry can say. Our duty series uses all uh, 4150 chromoly vanadium uh, steel to uh, be over here. It's getting personal. (laughs) All right. Now go. Uh, 4150 chromoly vanadium steel uh, to the mill B standard. Uh, And our match series uses uh, 416R stainless. Okay, so what are some of the properties of 4150? And this is a sample of uh, one of our integral barrels that uses 4150, correct? Right, right. So I I think the differences between them are slight, but um, you would think that um, 4150 is generally a a better steel in applications that um, require higher heat or more extended heat. Um, You know, both both barrel materials have have good... um, solid wear characteristics um you know but 4150 would would mainly be used when when you're expecting uh more prolonged heat or higher heat uh and 416r um machines slightly better uh it's actually a extremely uh machinable stainless uh so you can get preciser cuts in it um so so all the the internal features um are are more precisely machinable, um, you know, which which leads to better accuracy. I think it goes without saying that uh, pretty much every gun owner has their favorite tools, their favorite things that they like to keep in their range bag or at their workbench. Uh, and it's no secret for us that the Wheeler Fat Wrench is one of those. We have several of these up in our assembly area with our armory technicians. And it's because it's a simple, great device uh, that can be used in multiple applications. It's an adjustable torque wrench in a screwdriver type fashion with a series of bits that'll help you with everything from rifle takedown to scope mounting and everything in between. Fantastic tool. Uh, So if you haven't checked these out, you can go to wheelertools.com and they're available in a ton of places, including amazon.com. But make sure you check it out, especially if you're looking for that one missing piece for your workbench or you want to give it to a uh, new gun owner to help set up their range bag. Definitely a great choice. Again, check out our friends at wheelertools.com dot com and take a look at the fat wrench and you just have to remember the big the big thing is you have to remember that you're responsible for every round that you that comes out of your firearm so we'll go on so we talked about you know safe direction we talked about knowing what's beyond our target um we talked about keeping our finger off the trigger until we're ready to fire we've also talked about uh treat all firearms like they're loaded to wrap that all up somebody you might ask well what's the number one rule what if I break every rule, mm-hmm. what is going to keep me safe? And every, most people say all of them. I shouldn't break any of them. Well, nobody's perfect, right? We all make mistakes. So the, the number one rule you should always follow, no matter what, is keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Because if I am pointed in a safe direction, if it does go off, nobody's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. There's a... a let me rephrase it. There's a very low percentage chance that somebody's going to get hurt if I'm pointing it in the proper safe direction that I know. As long as you remember those four rules and you keep that keep it pointed in a safe direction. I can't overemphasize that that rule enough that keep it pointed in a safe direction. Uh, you will prevent most accidents in your home. John, as we wrap up, let's just recap. What are those four rules one so, more time? For rule one, keep your gun always pointing in a safe direction. Rule two, 
Treat all guns like they are loaded. Rule three, know your target and what's beyond it. And rule four, keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. Thank you for watching. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, uh, kind of looking back at the best of uh, Adwood, the best of the first 31 episodes of the podcast and some more. Uh, we do want to hear your feedback and we want to get your questions on the air too. So if you have anything that you would like to ask the staff, uh, any guest suggestions or anything like that, we'd love to get those on the air. You can email us at podcast at factsandfirearms.com uh, to uh, get your questions and to us and we will do our best to get those on the air also don't forget to mark your calendars for next week as we'll have both bob and barry faxon here to talk about the story uh, of faxon firearms and even faxon machining what the beginnings look like what our hopes are for the future and a uh, fun ceremonial way to kick off uh, the next chapter here at our new facility in westchester if you're enjoying the show we would love for you to tell a friend about it and we'd also love for you to subscribe on your favorite platform so YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, Instagram, uh, but also places like Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Uh, click that subscribe and rate button. Leave a comment. We love hearing from you. And uh, it's uh, been wonderful to see the growth of the audience. And we want to make sure that keeps moving forward. So again, mark your calendars for next week. Thank you for watching this week. And we'll see you next time. Hi and welcome. Hi and welcome. The Facts and Blog and Podcast. <laughs>